praise the Lord this morning. He is indeed a glorious God, worthy of worship, and it's good to be back after being out a week on vacation, sort of a staycation, but nonetheless, it was a week off uh, for me. It's good to always be back. I always find myself when I'm away on Sundays, as I was last Sunday, yearning still to be here, and so I guess that's a good thing. It speaks highly of you, and... uh, it's uh, always a, just a joy to be, to be back when you've been away, even if it's been a week. And so I'm grateful to the Lord for our time together this morning. Let's pray. Turn to Matthew 28. Uh, if you're not already there, let's pray. Then you can turn there, okay? That's where we're going to be today. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit now to tend our hearts, to give us not just understanding, but a joyful submission to your word as we hear it today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come to Matthew chapter 28. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 20. The easy thing is that we'll be there for the next three weeks. You're thinking you're really squeezing Matthew out as much as you possibly can. That's exactly right. Uh, but if we're going to end the Gospel of Matthew after almost three years of the Gospel of Matthew, We might as well just squeeze every ounce that we can out of the Great Commission. Amen? It's what we've been called to, and this is sort of the the pinnacle of this gospel as we think about what we have here. You know, I wonder what goes through your mind when you hear the word authority. Vast majority of us, when we hear that word, we tend to respond sort of with... with, um, Maybe have a negative response to it. Maybe it's because you've had a bad experience of authority before. It could bring many different responses to, to you, to your mind, based upon your experience of it. So the reality is when it comes to authority, the majority of us like exercising authority, but it's not necessarily our natural response to joyfully submit to authority, is it? We like it if we own it, but we don't like it so much if we have to live under it. But yet God in his providence and in his grace has ordained our our world and all of our culture with multiple and varying levels of authority. You think about government. Everybody sigh, right? There's there's authority in the government. We read scripture that that talks about our being, uh, us being willing to submit to government authority. We think about work in the workplace. Some of you have have uh, a lot of authority in your workplace, and you have to exercise in a wise way the, the use of your authority. Many of us have to submit to varying levels of authority in the workplace. We have work, we have authorities all over the workplace. We have uh, authority in schools. Kids, amen? School starts this week. Praise the Lord. Only parents are saying that. There's, there's authority in the school. Whether you like that authority or not, it's there, it's present, or at least it should be there. Exercising authority. We have authority in the home, husband-wife relationships, parent-child relationships. There's authority in the church. There's authority everywhere we look because of God who instituted authority. Well, today we arrive at this final passage in Matthew's Gospel. And this passage is well known to most of us who've been in the church for very long. If you've not been in the church for very long, it will become a passage you will hear often. 
The reason it's so well known is that it, 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 it's often referred to as the Great Commission. It sort of gives us our marching orders as the church. But you know, when we come to this passage, most are familiar with it from verse 19 forward to verse 20. Few, when they quote the Great Commission, begin with verse 16. In reality, that's what we need to do. We, we need to see the whole before we begin to divide it up into different chunks. So let me read it for us today. This is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Most of the time when we come to this passage, we begin with, Go, therefore. But what we have to realize today, and not just today, but any time, is that before you get to the go therefore, there's a statement that Jesus makes that says, all authority has been given unto me. So that we do this passage justice, we're going to spend today and the next two Sundays in this text Today we're going to look at verses 16 through 18, what many call the great claim. Next week we'll look at verses 19 through the first part of verse 20, which is the great commission. And then the week after that we'll look at the final verse where we could refer to that as the great comfort. I didn't make those up, I robbed them from someone else. So whoever that was, I'll give them credit. It works. The great claim, the great commission, the great comfort. That's what we have here and we need to look at it piece by piece. It is true that when you come to the end of Matthew's gospel, that we have clear instructions. It was not just the disciples that were given this, although they were present and primary here in this, in this account, but we have clear instructions given to the disciples, expanded to the church, to go into all the world to be on mission for the cause of the gospel, making disciples. It's there, it's true. However, and this is what I want us to get this morning, if we do not have a proper understanding of and submission to Christ's authority, we will not do the Great Commission. You can talk all that you want to, all you want to about going and making disciples, going to the nations, going to the community, going, going, going. But if you do not have a proper theology of the authority of God, you will not have a, an active missiology in going for the sake of the nations. So that's what we want to do. We want to consider the authority that Christ has. The authority that Christ has. And as we consider the authority he has, we are looking at the authority behind the mission. That we need to have to properly understand how this authority prepares us for the mission that we've been called to. And as we do that, we want to consider really three proper responses to Christ's authority 
if we're going to be faithful in the mission to which he's called us. Let's do that together this morning. Let's walk through these responses to the authority of Christ as we consider, yes, the mission to which we've been called, but the authority behind that mission, our response to that authority will fuel how faithful we are in the mission. Number one, as we consider Christ's authority, we need to understand that it urges, it urges availability. It urges availability. Some time had passed since the resurrection, weeks had gone by now, and now we find the disciples making their way to Galilee as Jesus instructed them back in verse 10. Go back to verse 10 of chapter 28. This is post-resurrection. Immediately after the resurrection, Jesus says to them, do not be afraid. He's talking to the women here. Go and tell my brothers. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Verse 16, we're in Galilee. That was fast. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Notice, notice, by the way, from verse 10 to verse 16, there is a submission to Christ's authority present. You see that? Jesus speaks in his, after the resurrection had taken place through these servants, and now they are finding themselves in Galilee in submission to the instructions to which they had been given. And so in an act of obedience to his instruction, they are there in Galilee, I would say, as we see here in this text, and moving, if you, if you think forward into the book of Acts, they, they're putting themselves in a place of available service to Christ by obeying him. It's probably important to note that this is a fitting place for them to be because it was in Galilee that the disciples had spent much of their time in ministry with Jesus. It's a familiar place to them. Many things that they had seen Jesus do and, and accompanied Jesus in, in throughout his ministry. It's also important to note that we're not told exactly, but it's, it's probable that more than just the 11 disciples were present here. I think it's safe to maybe even assume I don't want to say it for sure, but it could be very well assumed that these women, the, the Marys, were present there. Some scholars even think that, that many, if not all, of the 500 witnesses that are referred to in 1 Corinthians 15 could have also been present here at this time as well. We know for sure that at least the 11 were there, but most likely others. How many, we're not sure, but most likely there were many others present. But the big thing that, that we see emerging from verses 16 and 17, we see that they were present, they saw him, they worshipped, some doubted, we'll get to that in a moment, and then Jesus claims his authority before. All this is before they're given instruction to go into the world to make disciples. Because they had obeyed Jesus and were in Galilee, they were there to meet him, to receive him. Because they had obeyed him and were in the right place, they were able to encounter him to receive instructions from him because they were in the right place and available to him they were able to receive the promise he was going to give them that we'll look at later on verse 20 friends the great missionary movement that was about to be unleashed throughout the book of acts and that continues to this day happened it happened, it began because the disciples were in the right place as Jesus instructed to them to be. They were in the right place, available to receive the next steps. 
like what John MacArthur said about faithful discipleship. He said, faithful discipleship does not begin with knowing where you will be serving the Lord or in what capacity. It does not start with having a clear call to a certain ministry or occupation or place of service. It always begins with simply being available to God, putting all reservations and preconceptions aside. It's been said by many, and I think it's true, that the greatest ability is availability. I think that that's certainly true in the church. The greatest ability is availability. Friends, Christians do a disservice to the kingdom They rob themselves of joy, they rob God of glory by being so consumed with life that they fail to be available for the mission that God has called them to take part in. We have five children. Give God praise for each of them most of the time. And each time that Jennifer was with child, was pregnant, she went to a practice, an OBGYN practice that had multiple doctors. Even in Kentucky, this was the case, Tennessee, had four in Tennessee, one in Kentucky. And so the practice was, is she would go throughout the many months of visiting the doctors, she would go see all the different doctors throughout the practice because it was always the doctor on call that would come and do the delivery. So it was kind of like surprise day when delivery day came. Unless you had pre-scheduled your delivery, you didn't know which doctor you were going to get. And sometimes that was good and sometimes that was bad and you were praying, we want this doctor, not that one. Oh, that's another story for another day. But, but on this particular, uh, on our fourth child, Riley, when she was born, we were in Kentucky and everything had progressed just like the other pregnancies had progressed. Going to the appointments, time came, the night came, I think it was evening, where Jennifer said, it's time to go to the doctor. So we made arrangements with our other children, went to the hospital, admitted into the hospital. The doctor came, the doctor on call was present. He came and began the process, right? I won't get into the vivid details of what takes place, just in case you've never seen that. Uh, You can ask someone else, I won't go there here. But all of the process began. The doctor was present there initially. The nurses were working with her. I was standing out of the way, keeping my mouth shut like a good husband would. And everything was going normal. And so it was at one moment, though, that I remember the nurse or maybe a couple of nurses were in the room with Jennifer, working with her, getting her to the point of delivery. And they were like, okay, stop. Let's go get the doctor. That's dangerous to tell a woman giving birth, just stop, hold on, right? But that's what they said, hold on, let's go get the doctor. You're ready. So they paged the doctor. No response. A little bit more urgency, page him again. No doctor. It became apparently clear that Riley was ready to come take on the world. And nothing was stopping her, not even the voice of a nurse saying, hold on a minute. And so, doctor or no doctor, here comes Riley. Well, they did manage to grab one of the resident doctors on the floor of the hospital that just worked there, generally speaking. They grabbed this doctor. She graciously came in, delivered Riley. The doctor who was supposed to deliver finally came into the room later, after all was said and done, to the frustration and the unhappiness of the nurses and even some parents present in the room. Because he was nowhere to be found when it counted most. You see, he had failed 
to be available when it mattered. Sadly, many believers are like, like this doctor. We've got the knowledge and the Sunday school certificates to prove it. We've got maybe the experience of being part of the body of Christ. But when it comes down to it, we're often unavailable, distracted. Maybe with, I don't know, to this day we don't know where the doctor was. For all I know, he was kicked up in a break room watching ESPN or something. I don't know. But that's, that's often how, how, how Christians, they've got all the experience, they've got the knowledge, but when it comes down to it, to putting our hand to the plow or, or even the scalpel to the wound, when it counts most, not available. Too many Christians miss the point of serving Christ and his kingdom because they are too preoccupied, too preoccupied with other things. You see, the doctor's degree and his experience didn't matter one bit if he was not present and available to use it. Friends, you may have the Bible memorized frontwards to backwards. You may have everything that you think that you need to be a good Christian, but if you're not available for the mission, it's of no use. The Lord is not interested solely in fully equipped disciples, though he is. He is most interested in disciples who are willing and available to be used for his glory. Do you think that these disciples were perfectly equipped at this moment? No way. Did you you read verse 17? I mean, these are the missionaries that are being commissioned. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. There's doubters in the room here that Jesus is about to commission to go out into the world to make disciples. Do you think that you have to have it all figured out and all together to be available to Jesus? No way. These disciples are living proof. Friend, I wonder how available you have made yourself to Christ. How available have you made yourself to the Lord Jesus? Are you truly available? Friend, don't be so quick to answer that question. Are you truly available for the mission to which God has called you and us together to serve in? Here's the point. When you come to grip with verse 18, all authority... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. When you get that, when you understand Jesus is sovereign, when you understand that he is Lord over your life and no one else, everything else is secondary. Everything. Everything and everyone. Everything else is secondary when Christ is Lord. For some of you, if you're honest, you have little to no room, presently speaking, to be available to Jesus. Even even being here this morning is sort of cramping your schedule. Maybe that's how some of you feel. Maybe that's that's what you felt like when you you came. 
I guess I got to go to church today so I'll feel good about myself. Is that true availability? For others of you, you might think, well, certainly I'm available. But when it comes down to it, there's always a conflict, isn't there? I want to love Jesus. I want to serve Jesus, but oh, I've got this. Oh, here's this. Oh, I forgot about this going on. Let me, Pastor, let me just get through this busy season of life and I'll have more time. How many times have I heard that? I used to think about that when I was in seminary. I was in seminary, full-time seminary student, full-time pastor. That's impossible, by the way. I used to think, Lord, if I could just get through seminary, I love seminary, loved it. If I could just get through this, I'll have more time for ministry. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Your, your life will never be to the point of having more time. You, you have to make choices. You have to have priorities. Listen, you have to ask those hard questions. What has to be cut so that I can be available? Friend, your availability to Christ reveals your true commitment to his lordship. I don't have to ask you theological questions to see what you truly believe about Jesus. All we have to do is watch your calendar. Not that we are. We have enough of our own to manage. Your availability reveals your understanding of whether Jesus is Lord or he isn't. It's belief informs action. If you really believe Jesus is Lord, your activity, your calendar will prove it. Now let me encourage you. Because I don't want to just make you feel guilty. And notice I'm not necessarily giving a list of things. There, there are good things that you can be doing that are crowding your availability to Jesus. There are maybe godly things, Christian things you can be doing that maybe crowds out your schedule to truly be of service and value to Christ and his kingdom. Let me encourage some of you because some of you are thinking, yes, I want to be available, I just don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know exactly where to go and how to get there and what to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a beautiful place for you to be encouraged and reminded that everyone in the church matters. Everyone has a role to play. Everyone has a gift to bring. And so if you're thinking this morning, well, one day I'll be, be available when I sort of have it more together. Let me just read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse, I'll begin in verse 12. He, in verses 4 through 11, he talks about how there are a variety of gifts. God gives everyone gifts. Now listen to verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it less, any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye. Monsters ink, right? Where would be the sense of hearing? 
If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged. Did you hear that? God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Friend, if you are a follower of Jesus, and he has placed you in this congregation, and you have even followed that through with with membership in this church, and you have a role to play, you You must, out of joy, be available to Christ. Many ways you can be available to Jesus in your family and workplace. The best way for you to make yourself available here in our context is by becoming a member of this church. Through that, you demonstrate willingness to join this local body, which is carrying out the mission of God making covenant with this body to do your share, to be held accountable to doing your share in carrying out the mission of God. There are many ways that you can be involved here and be available here. In fact, if you're asking that question right now, you can go to our website. Go to rgbcmd.org. Some of you have never done that, and you just need to do that because it's, it's the right thing to do, right? You need to go there, click on Connect, go down to where it says Volunteer, and right there today, right now, as I'm preaching, you can go list, read a list of 12 to 15 places that you can be available to serve. There are more, but there's at least 12 to 15 that you can begin praying through and thinking, okay, how can I plug in? Friends, understanding the authority of Christ urges you to be available to him. Number two, understanding the authority of Christ results in worship. In verse 17, Jesus meets up with the disciples in Galilee. And notice what happens. When he arrives, they saw him, they worshipped. But then Matthew just has to say what he does. But some doubted. Thank you, Matthew. What does that mean? Why would Matthew say that? Well, I mean, think about this. This is the final account. This is like the marching orders. This is the, the, the big horn to the, to the disciples in the church. Go get it. Go get the world. Make disciples. And why does Matthew just add here? They worshiped. You'd think that they worshiped and all heaven broke loose. The angels were singing. The disciples could see the angels. You'd think that this amazing thing that took place says they worshiped, but some doubted. Why does he add that there? It's like a, almost like deflating the balloon. Well, for one thing, I think it confirms the historical accuracy of this book because it shows how good of a historian Matthew was. Flaws and all, he was recording his eyewitness account. He could have prettied it up, but he didn't. No matter how awkward the moment was, he's recording the details as he saw it. But you still have to admit it seems quite odd. Who is it that doubted and why? Where was, was it Thomas? Had to be Thomas. It said some doubted. It implies others, and I'm sure Thomas could have been part of that. 
One thing that you need to know that it's important to know that the word doubt does not mean unbelief. That's not what that word means. In fact, it has the idea, this specific word has the idea of a balance hanging in suspense. It, it, it almost has the, the, the meaning of, of hesitation. Was it because some weren't sure of who this was? Maybe they saw Jesus coming from a distance and they were, is that really him? Was it that some were still struggling with the accounts of the resurrection and, and just believing it to be true? Or could it have been the fact that the last time all 11 disciples together had seen Jesus was that night in Gethsemane when he was betrayed and they fled from him? Maybe they were hesitant because what's he going to say to this bunch of cowards? Well, I can't tell you why they doubted. But it could be any of these reasons. The reality, regardless of that, is that even in light of some of their hesitation, they still worshipped. Again, we're reminded, just as the two Marys did right after the resurrection, that when one encounters the resurrected Christ, he cannot help but worship him. This is not the first time the disciples respond to Jesus' authority in this matter. In fact, I'll remind you, and we won't re-preach it, but back in Matthew chapter 14, verse 33, when the disciples were out on the sea, the storm comes, they see Jesus walking out on the water. They're like freaked out. You remember what happened in that account? Jesus' command, the wind ceased. And Matthew tells us, and those in the boat worshipped him. Truly saying, you are the Son of God. One of the classic books, modern books on missions, is a book by the name of Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. That book is very helpful in understanding the Great Commission, but it's interesting how the book begins. Very first paragraph, very first sentence. This is what Piper says. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. See, Piper gets it. Worship, the glory of God, is the ultimate goal of God's people. Missions exist because there are countless millions in the world who worship something other than God. They don't worship Him. So missions exist because there's a lack of true worship to the true God. But he goes on, and this is what I want you to get as well. Worship, he says, is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Worship is also the fuel for missions. And this, and this is what he says. You can't commend what you don't cherish. You can't do, verse 19, 
unless you are doing verse 17. So critical. This means if you do not have an adequate view of God, you will not have a faithful view of responsibility. If you do not get God right, you will not get missions right. If you don't understand his supremacy and his authority, you will not be available to him. You will not worship him, which will lead you into missions. Unless you are overwhelmed by the greatness, the magnitude, the sovereignty, the authority of Christ, you will never care about your secular neighbors or workmates. You will never care about the poor and the homeless. You will never reach out to the underserved in our community, and you will never spend a dollar of your money, at least that's how you view it, on the unreached people of the world. You will never live your life on mission with God until you rightly worship Him as God. Worship is a response to God that is motivated by a heart that gladly embraces Him as your supreme and ultimate authority. Number three. Responding to the authority of Christ leads us to submission stating the obvious, but it's true. As we'll consider more next week, Jesus gives his disciples and the rest of us clear instruction as to what the mission is. And you will follow them through the book of Acts. Acts is a great illustration of how the disciples carried out the instructions given right here in Matthew 28. Acts is a glorious, not perfect, in, I mean it is perfect because God inspired, but it's not perfect in the fact that the disciples weren't perfect. They didn't do it perfectly. They didn't carry out the mission perfectly, but they still carried out the mission in submission to God because they got his authority. There's no other explanation as to why a group of ragtag disciples who are running like scared chickens in Gethsemane, weeks later, are radically changed to turn the world upside down for the sake of the gospel. You, You can't explain it any other way except for the fact that they got it when it came to the authority of God in their lives. This authority, he says, all authority. How much authority? All authority. Where? In heaven and on earth. It is absolute and it's universal authority. And so, when we encounter absolute universal authority, There is no other proper response than to joyfully submit to him as Lord. Certainly we have seen glimpses of this authority throughout the gospel narrative as he's demonstrated, as Jesus has demonstrated authority over the physical, the spiritual, the natural realms. Paul reminds us in Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But we have some analytical types in the room. 
Some of you may be saying, well, if Jesus claims and has all authority in heaven and on earth, then why does he need us for the Great Commission? Answer, he doesn't. He doesn't need you one bit. He doesn't. He has all authority. However, you think about that. Couldn't he just make some cosmic authoritative announcement to the nations? Repent or perish. He could have. But that is not how Christ has chosen to work. He has chosen, this is a beautiful testimony to his grace towards you and to me. He's chosen to use his flawed yet redeemed instruments as his instruments to carry out his mission. Friend, that should humble you to think that he would want to use you or me or us together to spread the name of Jesus among the nations of the world. He wants to use you. You say, well, he couldn't use me. No, he wants to use you. He does. He doesn't need you, but he has chosen to call you to himself, and he's chosen to call you into his mission. That's good news for you. That's how much he cares for you. He's willing to use you, as flawed as you are, as flawed as I am, but he's using you to make his name known among the nations. One of the reasons Christians and even churches fail to obey the Great Commission is because they truly are not submitting to Christ's authority. You don't get verses 19 and 20 until you get verses 16 through 18. At least you don't get that properly. Friend, you have gladly chosen to be here today, I hope, But I ask you, have you gladly, I'm not asking you to answer this question about your spouse or your children or your friend. I'm asking you, have you gladly embraced the authority of Jesus in your life? Have you? Maybe you're here today and you're one of the doubters. I would tell you, you're in a good place. The truth is, is that God can handle your doubts. And he is actually in the business of converting doubters into devoted followers. If you're here today and you're doubting or you're maybe even questioning, you're not a Christian maybe, you're here today and you're just kind of feeling this stuff out. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, rose victoriously from the grave to do everything needed to forgive you of your sins and to make you an adopted child of God if you would simply place your hope in him. Have you done that? Because until you have really truly been reconciled to God, you will not properly and adequately recognize his authority in your life. God's authority is our greatest hope, and it's also our greatest problem. It's a problem when we are not in Christ. But when we are in Christ, 
it indeed is our greatest hope and confidence. Have you submitted to the one who claims and has all authority? Let's pray. Father, we, we hear your word and we acknowledge that you are indeed who you say you are. That you have sent your son and that you have given your son all authority in heaven and on earth. And Lord, my prayer now is that we as a congregational whole, and even as individuals who make up this congregation, Lord, that we would not just see this as something to do a head nod to. But Father, that we would truly embrace Christ's authority. And that that would be demonstrated today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day. Through our availability through our worship, through our submission. Lord, that it would be clear that we love you because you first loved us. That it would be clear that we want to obey you Father, if there are people here in this room today struggling with authority in their lives, specifically your authority over their lives, God, would you bring the proper conviction and awareness into their hearts so that they would see specifically how they have rebelled against your authority? tried to dampen your authority in their lives. Maybe there are people in this room, Lord, that have never submitted to you as Lord, don't know you as Savior. They hear what they hear this morning, and there's some yearning now in their hearts to want to know Christ and to walk with Him. Lord, would you bring them home? Would you bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus as Savior and Lord? God, would you help the rest of us, Lord, help all of us in this room to to gladly and joyfully see not just our mission, but Lord, to see the God behind the mission. Many of us, were so distracted with life that we are missing, we're missing opportunities to live out this mission, this glorious mission that you've given us. So God, would you align our hearts with you today? Would you help us to respond in obedience to you? Would you help us to be faithful to you because you've been faithful? Lord, you know our hearts. You know where we are. Would you move in them now, we pray. In Jesus' name.